Well, amen. Thank you guys for that uh, awesome rendition there for worship of their hearts. Let me invite you to get your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. It was the morning of June 10th, 1991. J.C. Dugard was walking from her home in Myers, California to her school bus stop when a van pulled up beside her. A man jumps out and drags her inside. J.C. Dugard went missing for nearly two decades. Her captors were Philip Gerardo and Nancy Bocanegra. And uh, Philip Gerardo had previously been in prison for 12 years for the rape of another woman, but now he was out on parole. And Dugard was taken from that place about three hours away, and she was kept in uh, Gerardo's shed out back where she was enslaved, abused, and raped for 18 years. She, was, she bore Gerardo two children during that time. Gerardo was eventually caught when he showed up at UC Berkeley in 2009 asking to distribute flyers and to, to hold an event there. His erratic behavior caused one of the police officers to request a, a meeting with him and, and his family, entire family. And under questioning, it came out that even though J.C. Dugard introduced herself as Alyssa, her true identity was revealed. One investigator said that Dugard and her girls stared at Gerardo, quote, like God. They had this weird look in their eyes like brainwashed zombies. And indeed, they were brainwashed and reconditioned to live in the, in the way that they were living in that little shack out back. This is a story of a man who robbed a young girl of her life to gratify his own selfish and perverted desires. And in many ways, it's a graphic picture of the way in which the religious leaders of Jesus' day had enslaved and dominated and abused the people of Israel. It's also a graphic picture of what is happening spiritually in the lives of many people today. You see, our nation has been kidnapped from its Christian values and put in the shed of technology to be brainwashed and re-educated. And we live under the influence of those who control media and education and politics and religion for their own selfish purposes. And behind all of this is our greatest enemy, the devil, who has come to kill steal, and destroy. As we come to John chapter 10, it's important to understand 
that this is a continuation of a conflict that Jesus was having with the scribes and the Pharisees that begins all the way back in chapter 8. And there, Jesus tells those leaders that they are not righteous leaders, that they are not leaders that are reflecting the nature of God, but they are in fact, John chapter 8 and verse 44, they are in fact, he says, you are the of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. See, he was a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar. And the reason that you do not believe me is I tell you the truth, and you have been living under the influence of these false leaders. And then they proved exactly what Jesus said when they picked up stones to kill him. But Jesus disappears, and he goes out of the temple. Then in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth. And he does it on the Sabbath day. Instead of being happy for a man who has never in his life seen, the religious leaders are enraged. And they want to kill him even more. They have no concern for this man. All they're concerned for is maintaining their power and their position so that they can fulfill their own desires. It's an incredible story. It's essential to understand that in that day, the religious leaders were not only in charge of religion, but they were in charge of all the information, the flow of information, what we would call the media. They were in charge of of information, of education, of politics. They dominated every aspect of the people's lives, and they did it so that they could carry out their selfish desires. And John wants us to see this stark contrast between the compassionate righteousness of Christ and the, and the cruel uh, uh, corruption of these religious leaders. It's a contrast between light and dark, between what is truth and what is a lie. It's a contrast between uh, spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. It's a contrast between the children of God and the children of the devil. It's a contrast between life and death. It's a contrast. And Jesus shows us this contrast when he uses what he calls in verse 6 a figure of speech. It's not a, a parabole. It's not a parable. It's a paramia. Uh, you might call it a word picture. You might call it an analogy or an extended metaphor. In some ways, it, it's kind of like an allegory because all of the characters have a corresponding meaning. And uh, he uses this analogy of a shepherd in relation to his sheep. And shepherding was an image that uh, everyone could identify with in that day because, I mean, it was just a part of everyday life. In Israel, there was a main plateau that extended about 35 miles north and south. It varied in width from 14 to, to 17 miles, and it was very rocky, stony. It wasn't very good for uh, for. Uh, growing things, and so it had been pretty much dedicated, uh, you know, designated for shepherding. 
And shepherding was a hard life because a shepherd had to, had to travel uh, with his sheep, move from place to place to find the grass, what grass was available. And as those sheep would wander trying to find grass, they would come to the edge sometimes of that plateau and, and they would just, they would sometimes fall off into a ravine, a valley. That shepherd would have to go down in there. He would have to rescue that sheep, carry it back up. If it had been injured, he would have to bind up its wounds. At night, he would have to you know, pick off the, the parasites and all those kind of things. And then there was always the danger of wild animals, especially wolves. There were even lions and bears in that day. Not to mention the thieves and the robbers who would come and try to steal the sheep. There were constant dangers. And so the shepherd had to, to maintain a vigilance. He had to have a, a, a sense of courage and a true, genuine care for the sheep. These were the kind of the necessary requirements for one to be a good shepherd. And he couldn't just stand there and watch them. She had to actively care for them. In the Old Testament, David uses this analogy. You know, the, the analogy of God being a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is the one who's going to care for me. The Lord is one, the one who is going to uh, make sure that I have everything that I need, whether it's food or water or protection or whether he, I just need to have something spiritual. I need to have my soul restored. He's the one who comforts me. He's, he's the one who gives me every single thing that I need. I depend upon him. And the Psalms uh, repeatedly say that we are his sheep. We're the, we're the flock of his hand. It's a beautiful picture of our relationship with God. You see, the Lord is our shepherd and we are the sheep. And, 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 and that relationship then gets amplified here when we come to John chapter 10. And Jesus says, not, I'm, not just that I am the shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. But you see, not only is the Lord pictured as a shepherd... The spiritual leaders of Israel were also pictured as shepherds. And they had similar responsibilities uh, as any other shepherd for caring for the people of God. And today, uh, spiritual leaders in the church are also referred to as shepherds. Now, you may not know, but the word pastor simply means shepherd. What I am is I'm a shepherd. I remember when I, I first came here 25 years ago, and I had been called officially as the pastor, uh, and they asked me, they said, what do you want us to call you? I said, well, you can call me whatever you want, but I really prefer pastor because a lot of people use the word preacher. And I said, I prefer that over preacher because a pastor does much more than simply preach. It's, it's much broader and encompasses a lot of other responsibilities. You know, many people were offended. Uh, I heard through the grapevine that there are people never coming back because, well, if he's not the preacher, then I'm not coming. Okay. But you see, God has given us a broader responsibility than simply getting up here on Sunday. 
It's much more than that. Now, since it's Pastor Appreciation Day or Shepherd Appreciation Day, I thought, well, hey, this might be a good message, but I didn't realize how convicting it was going to be. So uh, when you compare yourself with the good shepherd, well, you always fall way short. And, you know, um, you remember that Peter learned this lesson very early because right after Jesus was resurrected, Jesus came to him and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know I really like you a lot. And Jesus said to him, tend my lambs. Three times. And he says, feed my sheep. Tend my flock. Peter never forgot that. Peter never forgot that he was a a shepherd, an under-shepherd. And in his epistles, he calls Jesus the chief shepherd. And those who serve the chief shepherd are under shepherds or, or, or shepherds who carry out the responsibilities that he gives to them. And he says in, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, I exhort the elders among you. Now, what are elders? Well, they're the spiritual leaders. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but, pro- but proving to be examples to the flock. Now, you'll notice here that Peter points out that human shepherds, that under-shepherds, can and do fall short in fulfilling their responsibilities. He, and that's why he says, don't neglect that responsibility. And there's always the temptation to abuse that position. There's always a temptation, see, to, to, to try to get sordid gain, to, to use your position to get gain. There are many people doing that today. There's always this temptation to, to seek power or control. And so, you see, as we look to John chapter 10... We also get a sense of what God looks for in his pastors, what God looks for in his spiritual leaders. So I want to ask you, if you would, get your Bibles. And look with me. We're going to read this great passage in John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what things which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, I have known the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it again. No one is taking it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we humble ourselves before you, the great shepherd. The one that we know cares for us in every way possible. And Lord, we come today to be fed from your word, to be healed in our minds and our hearts and our souls. We come trusting you to meet every need. And Lord, for those of your people, those of you are those are that are your people today, we rejoice and we pray for those who are not of your flock, that today they would hear your voice. And would come to faith in you and find you to be their good shepherd. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I think it's apparent in this passage that Jesus contrasts his genuine sacrificial care for the Jewish people with that of the selfish counterfeit care of the Pharisees. And see, Jesus is our good shepherd who genuinely cares for us and gives us abundant life. Jesus as the good shepherd. And the first is this. Jesus is the true shepherd. he's He's the true shepherd, and there are three indicators of this in verses 1 through 5. First, Jesus is the true shepherd who comes legitimately. Look again at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep, or or the true shepherd. Now, when Jesus says truly, truly, he's saying, give me your attention, because what I'm about to say is really important. You need to get this. And he's talking about how someone enters the fold. How do you get into the fold? Well, there's only two ways. You come through the door or you come some other way. Or to put it another way, you either come legitimately or you come illegitimately. And what does he mean by the fold of the sheep? Well, in Palestine, it was common for the people of village to have a common pen where they kept sheep. And so during the day, the shepherds would have their sheep out uh, finding uh, grass, grazing. At night, they would bring them back 
to the pen, and they would lead them to the door, and they would go in to the pen. All the sheep together, all the different shepherds of the village, all the sheep go in there all together. And as they go in, there's a doorkeeper. The doorkeeper has a rod, and he stops at each one of them. He inspects the sheep to see if there are any problems, any issues, any injuries. Because when they come back out, if if there's something wrong, well, he's got to give an account for that. So he inspects each sheep as it goes in. He knows how many are going in, puts them all in there together. And then in the morning, when the, 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 after the shepherds have gone home and gotten some sleep, they come back, they come to the door. The doorkeeper knows all the shepherds of the village. And when they come to the door, he calls the sheep. Now, they're all in there together, but he doesn't worry about how many, how they're, you know, if they're mixed up or whatever, because, see, the sheep that are there, they're just kind of like dogs or anything else. When the master calls, well, they come. And when they come to the door, he just starts leading them out. They're going wherever they're going. They're following him. They know his voice. They, they, won't, they won't follow anybody else. Nobody else could even do that. The shepherd's the only one who can do that. And so here they are. Uh, they've been protected all night from wild animals, wrestlers, that kind of thing. And they go out into the field. Now, he talks about thieves and robbers. And that's interesting because thieves is, is the word kleptos from which we get our word kleptomania. It means one who steals. A thief is one who comes in by stealth, who's sneaky, who comes by a well-thought-out plan. He's kind of like the guy robbing the bank. He goes in, sneaks in at night. He cracks the safe. He takes the money. He gives it out. Nobody knows it. He's not like the robber who comes in with a gun, stick him up, and takes the money by force. That's, that's kind of the, you could do that, you could do it either way. Sometimes robbers would come and they would rob the, the doorkeeper. But the thieves, they would sneak over the wall, they would slit the throat of a, of a lamb and throw it over the wall. And so Jesus said, there's all kinds of, you see, possibilities, ways in which the sheep are, are abused and taken advantage of. And when Jesus talked about the thieves and the robbers, see, he's talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the spiritual leaders, the people that are supposed to be taking care of the sheep. He's saying, you're false shepherds. You're not legitimate representatives of God. They set themselves up as rulers. They had developed this legal system to control all people and all things and ensure ensure that they had their power. They enslaved the people. They oppressed them. They made this legalistic system by which they intimidated them. And they would even kill the people if it suited their purposes. They existed for their well-being. They did not exist for the well-being of the sheep. And God talks about this kind of shepherd in Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 2. This is God speaking. And he says this, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened, and the diseased you have not healed, the broken you have not bound up, the scattered uh, you have not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity you have dominated them. 
They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Every flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth, and there was none to search for them. See, the scribes and Pharisees were illegitimate shepherds. They had no true concern for the sheep. That's not the kind of shepherd that you want. But, friends, let me tell you, there are many false shepherds today. There are many illegitimate shepherds today. Illegitimate shepherds don't feed the flock God's word. They feed them human ideas. They feed them popular psychology. They feed them popular culture. But they don't feed them God's word. Uh, illegitimate shepherds try to fleece the sheep and take from them rather than give them to them. Uh, so we have all this group that's called the Health, Wealth, and Prosperity Funds. They're trying to take everybody's money. The illegitimate shepherds, see, don't seek after the lost. They're not really concerned for people's souls. Illegitimate shepherds don't do counseling. They don't bind up the wounds and heal the brokenhearted. Illegitimate shepherds don't pray for their sheep. They could care less if there's a prayer meeting in the church. See, there are lots and lots of illegitimate shepherds. And you ought to be able to recognize a legitimate shepherd because they have the characteristics of these things, of, of the good shepherd. Not perfectly, not fully, not completely, but they have those characteristics. And the people of God ought to be able to recognize that. In Ezekiel, a little later on, verse 23, the Lord says this. He says, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. You know who that's talking about? That's talking about Jesus. He is that one shepherd that came to Israel and the one that he set over all his people. He is the, uh, he is the, the son of David, the great shepherd that we know. He's the shepherd who comes legitimately. But you see, Jesus is the true shepherd who conforms prophetically. You see verse 3? To him, the doorkeeper opens. Jesus came legitimate. He came according to the promise of Scripture. He came in obedience to the Father. How did the doorkeeper know that he was really the true shepherd? Because he fulfilled everything that the Scripture promised that he would, would be true of the Messiah. And you remember John the Baptist, he could be the the, the doorkeeper. He was the one who said to the nation of Israel, Behold, this is your Messiah. He's the one who, who opened the door of the sheepfold of Israel to that nation. And when Jesus came, you remember he took up his he took up the scroll and he began to read and he says, I have come, the Lord has put his spirit upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, to the, open the eyes of the blind, to set the captive free. He was doing all the things that the Messiah was prophesied that he would do. He came according to the truth of the prophecy of Scripture. 
and according to the, the, the confirmation that came from John the Baptist. He's the true shepherd who is confirmed relationally. Listen, verse 3. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. You see, all those who belong to Jesus know his voice. And they follow him. Now imagine for just a moment this pen, huge pen. It's got all the sheep of Israel in there. Jesus comes to the pen and he calls them. He calls the sheep. Do all the sheep in the pen come? Nope. Who comes? The one who ones who are his. The ones who are his elect. The ones who respond to the truth, who, who recognize him as the good shepherd. Those are the ones that come. And that's the way it always is. There's a gr- whole group of people uh, in Taze Valley who comes. Those who know him. Those who hear his voice. And you see, they follow him then. Once they don't just come to the door. They follow him. They go wherever he goes. They live the way he lives. They're like him in that way. And every true under-shepherd who, tr- who truly speaks the word of the true shepherd, God's people know, recognize, and follow. You see, that's, that's, that's the one thing that I take comfort in. I take comfort in the fact that I know that as best as is possible for me, I am trying to accurately speak exactly what Jesus wants us to hear. And when I do, I know that the ones that that are really God's will hear his voice and will follow. That's all I can count on. Let's look at the contrast here just one more time. Jesus. See, Jesus is the true shepherd, right? But the Pharisees, well, they're false shepherds. What does Jesus do? Well, he enters the door. He, he comes to, to the door, but the, but the Pharisees, well, they, they enter another way. They come another way. The sheep follow, but with the Pharisees, they flee. They, the, the sheep know the, the true shepherd's voice, but to the Pharisees, well, they are strangers. And so here's a, here's a second analogy that God gives us to show us that Jesus is the good shepherd. First of all, he says, or second, he says, Jesus is the only door. Verse 6, this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Now, I just presented to you this figure of speech. God is the shepherd, and we are his sheep. Did that sound very complicated? Does that sound really hard to get? It's not, but what you know, they don't get it. They don't they don't get it. Why not? Because it was so ingrained in them the thinking, you see, that they were as the as sons of Abraham, that they were a part of the flock. They didn't even get Jesus' indictment of them that they were not being faithful or true shepherds. 
They didn't get this. They, and they wouldn't listen to them. You see, this, this, this figure of speech, like the parables that Jesus told, had a twofold purpose. It allowed those who were his to understand. But those who were rejecting him didn't understand. Look at verse 7. Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now here Jesus changes the metaphor just a little. In the first figure of speech, he's the true shepherd. Here he's the door, the only door to the sheep, or the sheepfold. And this is the seventh I am statement in the, or excuse me, the third of seven I am statements in the gospel of John. You remember when, when Moses asked God, he says, whom shall I say sent me to the people of Israel? And God says, tell them I am. Now that's, a, that's who God is. God is the eternal God. I am. I simply exist. I am. And Jesus says, I am. I'm God. I'm the God and part of, and the way I express myself in this way is that I am the way to salvation. I am the, the only way to true salvation. You see, he says in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, what? Through me? Remember what the shepherd would do? In the village, they had a pen where all the sheep were kept. When they were out in the field, separate away from the, the village, they would build their own pen. And then the shepherd would sit down in the opening, he would be the door. Nobody could get in or out without going through the shepherd. You can't get in and you can't get out without going through the shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the only door. There's no way to God. There's no way to salvation. There's no way to the blessings apart from me. Jesus is the only way, only door to salvation. See, so he says, verse 10, chapter 10, verse 9, he will be saved. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin, from death, from hell. If anyone enters through me, well, Jesus is the only door to freedom. If anyone enters through me, he will go in and come out. Freedom from what? Freedom from legalism, freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom. Jesus is the only door to nourishment. If anyone enters through me, he will find pasture. He will be able to understand the truth. And that truth will nourish the soul and we will grow and we will benefit. And Jesus is the only door to abundant life. See verse 10? The, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, there's a quality of life that comes with salvation. It's full. It's meaningful. It has purpose. It's, it's fulfilling. Let me ask you the question. Have you entered the door? If you enter the only door, which is Jesus, have you come to know real salvation? Have you come to know freedom 
from the bondage of sin? Have you come to experience the nourishing life that God gives to you through his word? Do you have abundant life? Have you entered the door? That's an important question. And the third analogy is this. Jesus is the good shepherd. Verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And again, this is the fourth I am statement in the Gospel of John. The text literally reads, the shepherd, I am the shepherd, the good one. Jesus separates himself from all other shepherds. There are a lot of shepherds, but I am the good one. And this is not good in the moral sense. This is good in a greater sense, a fuller sense. This is not kalos, the, 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 the goodness of a moral person, but this is goodness in the sense of greatness, in the sense of preeminence. I, I am the great. I am the chief shepherd. I'm good above all other shepherds. So there are four ways that Jesus' goodness is seen. First of all, his goodness is seen in that he sacrifices his sacrifices for his sheep. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. So you can see the contrast there between Jesus as the good shepherd who lays down his life and the hireling who, when danger comes, flees because they don't have any concern, real concern for the sheep. When it gets difficult, they're gone. But the good shepherd steps in between the sheep and the wolves, between the sheep and the bears or lions or robbers or thieves. Let's look at that contrast. See there? What does he do? The the good shepherd, he's the owner. He lays down his life for the sheep. He unites the sheep. He loves the sheep. But the evil shepherds, well, they're, they're hired hands. They leave. They flee in danger. They scatter the sheep. They have no concern for the sheep. The wolf represents danger of any kind. And ultimately, the greatest danger comes from the greatest wolf, the devil. Because his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. Isn't it interesting that under the old dispensation, the sheep died for the shepherd. But now in the new dispensation, the shepherd dies for the sheep. Five times in this message, Jesus declares that he gives his life sacrificially for the sheep. And that's an incredible reality. He's the owner of the sheep. And so he's the good shepherd who's willing to lay down his life. He's the good shepherd who knows his sheep. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Think about that word know. That doesn't mean intellectual knowledge. That's the word that was used back in Genesis and all through the Old Testament when Adam knew his wife. Cain knew his wife. On and on. What does it mean? It means an intimate knowledge 
of someone. A personal, close, deep. It's a knowledge that God the Father and God the Son have. Do you think God the Father and God the Son know one another well? Absolutely. And, he, and Jesus knows us. Jesus knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows all the things that you are interested in, your desires. He knows all your fears. He knows everything about you. And listen, he says that we know him. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the good shepherd? In what sense? Do you know about him? Or do you really know him personally, intimately? You say, well, how would I know him? I can't see him. I can't touch him. Well, the Bible tells us that when we came to know him, that he put his spirit inside us. And not only that, he gave us his word. This is the mind and the heart of God. And when you read it, the Holy Spirit takes this truth and he makes it real and alive in you. Now, if that doesn't happen, you don't really know God. You know some things about him, but you don't really have this personal knowledge of him. The good shepherd knows us, and we know him. The the good shepherd is the one who unites his sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. The other sheep in view here are the Gentiles who are not of Israel's fold. They too will hear the voice of Jesus and there will be many among the Gentiles who will come out of that pen. It's not, that won't be the pen of Israel, but that will be the pen of the world, a larger pen. Remember what uh, John 3.16 says? For God so loved the what? The world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And, And Jesus comes to the door of the world and he calls and there are some who are going to hear his voice and they are going to come. And when he does, what is he going to do? He's going to unite them. And there's going to be, in the end, there's only going to be one people, one sheep, and there's one shepherd, supreme. And Jesus is the good shepherd who resurrects his sheep. Verse 17, for this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying that Jesus, what he did, was voluntary. Remember what Peter told the the shepherds? Don't do it under compulsion. Do it voluntarily. 
Jesus did voluntarily. What did he do? He laid down his life. He died. He had the authority to lay it down. It wasn't taken from him. He was not a victim. He was not executed as we look at it from a human standpoint, but from a divine standpoint, he laid down his life and then he also had the authority to pick his life up again. He's talking about a resurrection. And Jesus not only was resurrected, but all who follow him, all who hear his voice will be resurrected with him. Jesus resurrects his sheep. He gives us that full and abundant life. And listen, you may, not, you may not realize this at this moment, but you desperately need that life that he offers. You desperately need it. You see, in many ways, those of us who are living under the influence of the world, who are being brainwashed, who are being re-educated, who are being taught to live in an abusive life, for the benefit of others who are under the influence of the, of the popular the, uh, theology of the world. We have been brainwashed. We've come to think. We've been told we're good people. We don't really need a shepherd. We don't really need anything else. We, we've got it all. Follow your heart. Don't follow Jesus. Follow your heart. Do you think you're a good person? Let me ask you, have you ever told a lie? You know what that makes you? People tell lies, you know what it makes you? It makes you a liar. Have you ever stolen anything, taken anything that wasn't yours? You know what that makes you? That makes you a thief. Have you ever looked at someone with lust? You know what that makes you? Well, that makes you either a fornicator or an adulterer. Have you ever hated anyone? You know what that makes you? That makes you a murderer. Have you ever looked at what other people have and wished that were yours? You know what that makes you? That makes you a coveter. Have you ever said that God is so good that he would never send anybody to hell? Do you know what that makes you? That makes you an idolater. Because you have just recreated God into something that he says he is not. The truth is that God is holy and that he must administer justice. The consequences of our sin is death and separation from God forever in eternal torment. All of us. That's where we're headed. But you see, God loved us so much that he sent his only son into the world so in a way that we could know him. He became a man we could look at, see, touch, hear, experience. He came into the world and then he laid down his life voluntarily he went to a cross for our sin. All of that we just talked about. Our lying, our stealing, our hatred, our adultery, 
our covetousness, our idolatry at all. He took it all upon himself, and he suffered the penalty for our sin, and then he had the authority to raise from the dead. And then he speaks, and he calls our name. And when he calls your name, friend, you come running out of that grave. You come out of death into life, into freedom, into hope, into abundant life through Jesus Christ. That's what he's done for all of us who hear his voice. And friend, he will do that for you today. Do you believe that? Do you, do you hear his voice today? And you know what happened when Jesus said these things? There was a division. And some people said, man, this guy is out of his head. He's got a demon. This is crazy. Why are you listening to this guy? And other people said, wait a minute. Man, nobody like this guy. Crazy people can't. Give sight to the blind. Maybe we ought to be listening. Maybe you ought to be listening. Maybe you ought to hear. Hear his voice call you. Let's pray.